Okay, Shekhet Vavakasha. It's amazing how that just goes around the world, you know? We're all very familiar with Shekhet. Be quiet. Similarly, there's actually a Mida of Shtika. A Mida of Shtika, of silence. Besides for the opening of a can of warm seltzer. I'd like to explore briefly the, the power, the beauty, the transformative nature of shtika, of silence, and at the same time touch upon the, the danger, the sakana of being silent in a situation where the call of the hour is to... Uh, is to stand up for what you believe in, to stand up for your values, not to be timid, not to stand on the sidelines. Silence can be life-changing. It can be, literally, it could help one transcend all of the, the minutia and the nourishkeit and the distractions of this world, getting into that zone of shtika, but if utilized in the wrong time, in the wrong situation, it could be deadly. In the beginning of the Parsha, Korach is coming over to Moshe, complaining about the kahuna, the way it was established. And in his infamous words, Rav Lechem, you have taken too much. Ki chola eda kulam kadoshim. Ubesochem Hashem. Umadua tisnasu al kahal Hashem. We're all holy. We're all valuable. Why are you raising yourselves up above and beyond the congregation of Hashem? Hashem is with all of us. So that was said, right? They gathered. Al Moshe ve'al Aaron, against Moshe and against Aaron. But yet the next Pasuk says in the response, Ve'yishma Moshe ve'yipol al that Moshe heard what Korach said, ve'yipol al and he fell. He fell to the ground. So it's strange that Korach is approaching, and it's not speaking with, but gathering al Moshe and al Aaron against Moshe and Aaron clearly addressing both of them. And the only thing the Torah tells us is, Ve'yishma Moshe ve'yipol al-panov. Moshe heard and he fell to the ground. What was Aaron's response? So the Ramban explains, and this really brings us into the, the character, the personality of Aaron HaKohen. Lo yiplu, the Pasuk does not say that they both fell, Ki Aaron b'musoro u'bekudushoso, because Aaron, based on his musr, based on his kedusha, his sanctity, lo onadover b'cholam machlokas hazo, he did not want to respond to any aspect of this fight. Vahikemachrish, it was as if he was totally silent, not hearing that which was happening right in front of him, directed at him. 
And it was almost as if, writes the Ramban, that through the silence of Aaron, through not reacting in the same dramatic way as Moshe Rabbeinu, it was almost as if he was saying, or he was expressing the feeling that, you know what? Korach, maybe you are more Roy, more fitting for this position than I am. Maybe. I'm only here because that's what Moshe said to do. These were the instructions of Hashem. But that was the message that Aaron was giving off at the time. Clearly an indication of his Musr, his Kedusha, his Anivus, his humility. But at the same time, it sounds like it's a very strange situation to be letting others think that Korach has a, a point. This is not a small issue here. This is not just about the kahuna and who should take that role, who should have that position. This was questioning the entire authority and Ehrlichkeit, the truth of Moshe and the truth of the Torah. If there was ever a time for Aaron HaKohen to stand up and almost fight against his natural personality, it would be a time like this. Korach is yelling at you and Moshe. He's creating a tremendous Chilil Hashem. He's endangering the future of the Jewish people. Don't just stand there and be silent. Yell at him. Or at least react in a dramatic way like Moshe, fall onto the ground. How is it okay for Aaron not to say anything? And in the description of the Ramban, it does not sound like it was the wrong choice. To the contrary, it's based on his Musr and his Kedusha. It's based on the lofty, majestic human being that he was. He was able to stay there as if he wasn't part of this conversation. Why was that the right move? The, uh, the Beis Yosef tells us, this is quoted in the very beginning of Mishnah Bura, that one should be very careful when it comes to the Midah of Azus, of being overly bold or chutzpahdik. Even in a situation where it might be called for, very dangerous to play with those types of Midos, because, explains the Beis Yosef, it could create a Kenyan Benafsho, it could really get inside of me, and although right here and now, it might be the right thing to stand up and to yell with this righteous indignation, it could be. But if you allow yourself to behave like that in this particular limited setting, it will have negative ramifications for the future. And therefore, generally speaking, try not to allow yourself to, to lose it. However, the one exception writes the Biralacha. One exception is, if the critique, if the degrading is not against you as an individual, but rather it's against the community. The only time the Beis Yosef was instructing us, just ignore what they're saying, if they're making fun of you, if they're mocking you, just pretend they're not there. Don't allow yourself to, to, to be chutzpahdik. That's when it's a personal issue. However, writes the Berlacha, 
If it's something that endangers the community, the Jewish people as a whole, he says, You have people trying to institute changes to push things in a direction that would be very detrimental to Yiddishkeit. And through their behavior, through their, their actions, they would be taking away the people from the Ratzon Hashem. In that situation, not only are you allowed to stand up and fight, it is a mitzvah to have hatred for what they're doing. I'm not allowed to remain neutral. If I see that you, as a person or a group, you're doing something that's bringing down Klal Yisrael, then I have to stand up and I have to fight and I have to have a sinna. I have to hate what you're doing. And to try your hardest to somehow break up their plans. Don't allow their agenda to take root. So if there was ever a time to apply this concept of the Berlacha, we would have assumed it's when Korach was standing and yelling at Moshe and Aaron, telling them, what you represent is not true. The messages that you're sharing with the Jewish people are inaccurate. And we can no longer trust your nevuah because clearly you have a personal agenda. You're doing this for, for yourself and for your relatives. That's the point where the Berlacha would have said, Aaron, don't be an anav right now. Stand up and fight. So why didn't he do that? So I'd like to explore the, the midah of shtika, the character trait of silence. The dangerous silence is, in a situation like we've mentioned, if you should be fighting for what you believe in, and the only reason you're not is because you're too much of a coward, that's a silence that's very dangerous. That's a silence that reverberates and has a hashpah, a very negative influence on those around you. That's a silence that I will be held accountable for. I, uh, I saw recently a translation of a letter. This is on page five. A translation of a letter from a small village in France dating back to the summer of 1942 where they were made aware of the, uh, the plans of the Germans, the Nazis, wanting to come in and find out who the Jews were and take them from that village and exterminate them. So they write as follows. We have learned of the frightening scenes which took place three weeks ago in Paris, where the French police, on orders of the occupying power, arrested in their homes all the Jewish families in Paris to hold them in the Ville de Hive. The fathers were torn from their families and sent to Germany, the children torn from their mothers, who underwent the same fate as their husbands. We are afraid that the measures of deportation of the Jews will soon be applied in the southern zone as well. We feel obligated to tell you that there are among us a certain number of Jews, but we make no distinction between Jews and non-Jews. 
If our comrades, whose only fault is to be born into another religion, receive the order to let themselves be deported or even examined, they would dis disobey the order received and we would try to hide them as best as we could. We have Jews. You're not getting them. And through Siata de Shemaya, I could show you the chapter in this particular book that speaks about this village in France. Very interesting story. There are many Jews who were able to stay there during the war and were saved. This is an example of what they refer to as righteous Gentiles. People having a conviction, a sense of morality, where we understand we're risking our lives, but this is not a time to remain silent. This is not a time to allow the occupying powers to do what they wish and we're going to stay and hide in the attic. It's a time to speak out. Silence can be deadly if the call of the hour is to shout. The Midah of Shtika exclaim, explains Reb Chaim Friedlander is really a Midah of having control over oneself. It doesn't just mean that I'm quiet, that I'm shy, that I don't say much. But it's having control over myself. The Rambam has five levels of Dibor, five different categories of speech. The first category is speech that is officially usr. Lashon hora, sheker. Obviously, we have to stay far away from that category. Category two is Dibor hamaus. If you're speaking in a, in a non-refined way, you're not speaking like a yid, you're not speaking like a mensch. Category three is a middle category of Dover Hamutter, things that are permissible to speak about, buying and selling, real estate, stocks and bonds, whatever it may be, carpool, babysitters, things that we have to discuss. Category four is Dibor Bidavar Mitzvah, Kasher Dibor Mishamesh Be'emsoy Lakiu Mitzvah, when we're speaking about ways of enhancing or fulfilling mitzvos. That's obviously a higher level dibur. And the highest level, number five, is dibur ha-mitzvah, where the speech itself is the mitzvah. Like tefillah, limit ha-torah. These are five levels of dibur. The Rambam concludes that when it comes to category one and category two, we should try to stay far away from those. Those are usr. Even category three, where I'm allowed to speak about sports, I'm allowed to speak about all sorts of wonderful things in the world of politics, but, writes the Rambam, try to be mimayet. Try to minimize that conversation as much as possible, because ultimately it's not going to do much for you, for the person you're speaking with. You're not going to change the world. You're not going to change their mind and likely you're not going to be a happier or more fulfilled person based on an abundance of those conversations. The Rambam says, as much as possible, try to stay within category four and five. Speech that's relevant to mitzvos. Now that doesn't just mean when I'm saying a bracha, when I'm learning Torah, when I'm davening, but Rav Chaim Friedlander explains that speech which is a mitzvah can be any regular conversation we have. 
He says, sometimes people see a chazal and, and they assume or they think in black and white terms. Shtika is a good thing. Being quiet is, is helpful. The Mishten Perki Avos, we're going to see in a moment, tells us that it's one of the healthiest things for the body. But, explains Rav Chaim Friedlander, you have to know when and where the mitzvah of shtika applies, when is it healthy, when is it helpful, and when is it detrimental. He quotes a story of Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, that Rabbi Yisrael was staying with a few of his Talmidim in a farm. And there was a lady, an older woman, who was running the show over there. And uh, she was out and about from the break of dawn, working with the chickens, gathering the eggs, milking the cows. It was the whole nine yards. And uh, one afternoon, some of his Talmidim saw Rabbi Yisroel having this long conversation with the farmer, with this older lady. And he was inquiring. So, how many eggs do the chickens lay usually? What's the quality of the milk? How often do you shear the sheep? Random farming questions that they understood that their Rebbe really didn't have much of an interest in. And usually you wouldn't find Rebbe Yisrael Salanter speaking to someone of the other gender for a long time. So they were politely trying to explore Rebbe, what's going on? And Rabbi Yisrael explained, he said, we have a sense of Akar Satov. We're grateful that she's allowing us to stay here. She's giving us food. Hakar Satov is not just in how we feel, but we want to express it in a way that the recipient will appreciate it. This is what her life is. This is what she appreciates. In order to make her feel better about herself, you have to show that you're interested in what she's doing. So sometimes schmoozing, even schmoozing about trivial things, can be category four or five. Those are words of a mitzvah. We have a similar idea in Shabbos. We know that in Shabbos, we have a restriction not to speak about mundane matters. So the Shulchan Aruch Paskins and Shin Zion this is in the uh, very beginning of Simon Shinzayin. We try to, to minimize any speech that is referring to secular or weekday activity. And the Ramah writes, B'nei Adam she'siper shmuos v'divrei chedushim hu oneg lehem. But if you have people where speaking about uh, what's new, the gossip, assuming it's not real Lashon Hara, but talking about things that are not really Shabbosdik, but they get onig from that, that gives them a feeling of pleasure. Then mutter lesapram b'shabbos kamo b'chol. Then they would actually be allowed to speak about those things on Shabbos, just like they do during the week, because that's their onig Shabbos. However, misha'enom misnaheg, but if one doesn't get pleasure from those conversations, then for you, it would be usher to speak about those things on Shabbos. This one Ramah makes Shalom Bayis very difficult, right? Theoretically, right, one's wife could enjoy speaking about many things that she might speak about during the week, and the husband now could take out his religious card. I would love to speak more about the five different choices of skirts 
you want to look into for the girls, but for me on Shabbos, I'm not sure I'm allowed to. However, writes the Mishnah Vura something very interesting. He says, the only time I'm not allowed to speak about something that I don't get oneg from is when not only do I not enjoy the conversation, but I'm not enjoying the fact that you're enjoying the conversation. Meaning to say, If I get pleasure from the fact that you're speaking about something, that although intrinsically I don't really have much of an interest or curiosity in this, this topic, but, but you're getting into it, and because you're enjoying it, I'm enjoying it, so then it's mutter. That's Oneg Shabbos. So sometimes, even speaking about trivial things, mundane, how to milk a cow, how many eggs the chickens produce, or even speaking about something that is not at all Kedusha Tahara and Shabbos, but it's bringing someone else Simcha, and you're getting Simcha from their Simcha, then there's no mitzvah of Shtika, no mitzvah of being quiet. The mitzvah is, have a conversation, make somebody feel good about themselves. I remember reading about Reb, uh, Reb Yitzchak Blazer. He was one of the three main disciples of Reb Yisrael Salanter. It said about him that from Rosh Chodesh Elul through Yom Kippur for 40 days, he would take on a tainus dibur, which means he wouldn't speak at all. The one exception was when his wife had a baby, he said, Mazel Tov. Well, I said he was married four times because of that, but just joking. Now, obviously, you have to assume for the blazer mishpacha, this is something that he was doing because it was an aliyah, and his wife, I'm sure, was on board with, and they had that kind of relationship. For a different mishpacha, that's called abuse. So a lot depends on the circumstance. A lot depends on the dynamic of the relationship. What was Aaron doing? Why did he not respond? Korach is being mezalzel. He's degrading. He's questioning the, the authenticity, the legitimacy of Moshe and the Torah. The answer seems to be it's not that he was not allowed to respond. Of course, he could have started yelling at Korach. He had every right to start shouting aggressively at Korach to try to shut him down. That would have been mutter. However, the only reason why he didn't do that must be because he felt that would be counterproductive. I have the right to yell at you. I have the right to stand up in a way that will be very aggressive and very strong. I have a right to express azus, to be bold. But clearly, if Aaron didn't do that, it must be what the Ramban is teaching us, is that he would have felt, or he did feel, that would be counterproductive. That's only stoking the coals of the machlokis. That, that, that's, that's giving more fuel to the fire. It's not going to help. Right now, before anything, before giving tochacha, before rebuking in any way, shape, or form, 
I have to somehow try to extinguish the flames. That's why he chose to be silent. Reb Simcha Zisel Brody, we quoted him last week in his beautiful Sefer, the Sam Derech. He takes this approach to explain the silence of Aaron HaKohen. This is the bottom of page uh, two. He writes, Venira, Kigam Aaron Chishevu Motzah Shekedei Lechabos Es Eish HaMachlokis. Aaron's calculation, his strategy was in order to extinguish the flames of Machlokis. Yitev Adover Im Yitpos Bepelech Shtika Velo Yitzad Bemachlokis. He felt it would be more effective Two, utilize shtika to be silent, to be quiet, and not to get involved directly with the machlokis, at least in that place and that time. What the Ramban means when he says it was based on musoro v'kedushoso, the musr of Aaron and the sanctity of Aaron, explains of Simcha Brody, ki makor koach hashiput where did that level of self-control come from? How was he able to hold himself back when clearly he must have been so angry at, at this terrible Chilul Hashem that was taking place? Explains Reb Simcha Brody. It's because of his Musr, his Kedusha, his Mida of Shtika, meaning not just that one is quiet, One's an introvert, that doesn't mean that. But it means he had the control over himself because his seichel told him this is not the right move, although it may be permissible, technically speaking. This is not what a Kaddish Baruch Hu wants from me right now. Through his Musr and Kedusha, he was able to stay quiet. So we have the silence that can be complicit where you're actually aiding and assisting evil to take place by not standing up against it. And we have a very different type of silence, which is a shtika shel gevura. My good friend, Reb Michal Kaiser, who just left recently, he made this distinction that we find many areas throughout Tanakh where there are two forms of shtika. There's a silence of weakness, where I just don't have the courage to stand up and fight. And there's a silence of gavura, where because of my assessment of any given situation, I come to the conclusion that saying something right here and now is not the right thing. I'd like to suggest, though, that there's really a third level of silence as well. See, within these two categories, we have weakness, a lack of courage, and then we have the picture of someone holding himself back. Really, I want to say something. Really, I want to react. But I have the midah of shtik, I could hold myself back. It's interesting from a strategic standpoint. Rabbi Vadi Yosef tells the story of uh, Rabbi Yisrael Mivizhnitz, the great Rebbe Vizhnitz, where he was asking his gabai to take him to the manager of a particular bank. And the, the manager was Jewish. He was not religious. He was part of the Maskilim, part of the Enlightenment. The Gabe wasn't sure why he wanted to see this fellow, but he took the Rebbe. They come to this person's house, and the, the person opens the door, 
And he's very surprised to see the, the Rebbe of Vizhnitz right there by his front door. And he was a polite man. Right? He, he didn't agree with many of the, the, the from practices, and he had his own warped opinions, but he was polite. He says, please, what, what, what a covered, what a beautiful honor to have the Rebbe here. Come inside, sit down. Can I get the Rebbe a cup of tea? So uh, they're sitting at the table together, and this, uh, the manager of the bank is wondering, why is the Rebbe here? He's making small talk, a little conversation, and the Rebbe's not really saying anything. He drinks his tea. In the meantime, the Balabayas turns to the Gabbai and says, do you know why the Rebbe's here? He says, I have no clue. <laughs> he just told me to come. And the Rebbe stands up. He says, thank you very much, and it's time to go. Balabai is not quite understanding what just took place, but again, being polite, he stands up, he escorts the Rebbe out the door, and then he says, you know, it probably would not have been uh, so covetic inside to ask the Rebbe what he's doing here, but now that we're outside, I'm just curious, what was the, uh, the point of the, the visit? The Rebbe visioned it said back, I came here to be Mekayim a mitzvah. I came to your house to fulfill a mitzvah, and Baruch Hashem, I fulfilled the mitzvah. So not getting much clarity from that response, he inquired further, what, what mitzvah is the Rebbe fulfilling? So the Rebbe quoted the Gemara, the Gemara in Yavamas that says, Kishem shem mitzvah loimar davr hanishma, just like it's a mitzvah to say something, to give rebuke, if it will be heard, so too it's a mitzvah shaloy lomar nishma. It's a mitzvah not to say something that will not be heard. So if I'm sitting at my house and you're sitting at your house, then I'm not not saying something. I'm just not coming over and I'm avoiding the conflict. But I wanted to be mekayim, the words of the Gemara, so I came over and I didn't say anything. So clearly at this point, the, the Balabas, the manager of the bank, was very confused and very curious. Rebbe, please tell me if, if there's something I'm doing that, that, that you feel is inappropriate, or, uh, you know, please let me know. He says, no, you, you're not going to be macabre. It's, it's not worth it. I can't say something. It's not going to be accepted. Rebbe, please, you, you can't leave me in suspense. If you could tell me what I'm doing wrong, I, I gladly fix it. So eventually, after pressuring the Rebbe, he said, I'll tell you, there's, a, there's an almana, there's a widow, and she has children, and she's not been able to pay her mortgage, and she just received from your bank the last warning that if she doesn't pay up in full by this particular date, they're going to auction off her home. I need you to take care of this. And the guy said back, well, we have to understand if, if, if I was the owner of the bank, I would for sure take care of it in, in, in a moment. But I, I'm just the manager. I, I'm an employee. I don't own the bank. It's not my money. It's not my loan. It's not my mortgage. And the Rebbe said, you see, I, I, sh I shouldn't have said anything. I shouldn't have said anything. Now, now I was in violation of the Gemara. I should have stayed silent. And uh, the Rebbe walked away expressing real agmas nefesh, real pain, that he said anything. Turns out it was a fairly decent move on the Rebbe's part. 
And he finds out a day later that this guy paid off her loan from his own pocket. He wasn't able to have the bank cancel it, but he paid off the loan himself. That's using shtika as a strategy, but I think there's a third level of shtika where it defines almost who I am. It's a quality. It's, it's a way not just of behaving, but it's a way of living. There's interesting Medrash uh, Tanchuma that speaks about or really elaborates on the Mishnah, the Mishnah we alluded to before, on page 4 here, number 11. Amr Abshimim Gamliel, Kol Yamai Gedalti Ben Chachamim. He said, All of my life I have been raised amongst the sages. And I found nothing better for the body. Putting aside, uh, what's it called? The vinegar? What's the new vinegar? Apple cider vinegar. Putting aside apple cider vinegar, I found nothing better for the body than shtika. That's what the Mishnah says. Explains the Medrash Tanchuma. Rachel tafsa b'shtika. Rachel Yimenu embraced this midah of shtika. She was silent. And therefore she was zochet to have children who followed in her path. And it gives examples of Binyamin and Shaul HaMelech and then Esther HaMalka. Velamushaska, so why was she quiet? Obviously referring to when she found out the Lovin was going to give Leah as the wife for Yaakov instead of her. She didn't say anything. So Lamushaska, Amur Shimon Bar Yochai, the great author of the Zohar tells us, she made the following calculation. And she said to herself, if I say something and I let Yaakov know what my father is planning on doing, then likely my father is not going to let me marry him either. And therefore, I will be distancing myself from this holy, righteous person. She wanted nothing more to become the Ezer Kenegdo of Yaakov Avinu to build Klal Yisrael together. So she thought about it. If I say something and I mess the whole thing up, I'm going to lose my chance at marrying Yaakov as well. Therefore, she decided to remain quiet. She was silent. Amr Kodesh Baruch Hashem said to Rachel Imenu, At Shaskis, you were able to remain quiet by your life through the merit of that shtika, of that silence, I will remember you. And that's what the Pasuk says, that Hashem remembered Rachel and she conceived and gave birth to Yosef. All in the schus, all in the merit of her silence. What did she do? What was the, the, the grace of What was the amazing accomplishment? She made a very logical calculation. She was analytical. She sat down. She was roes and nolad. She wanted nothing more than to marry Yaakov, and therefore it just made sense. Be quiet. What's the schus of the shtika? What is she doing? 
So I think we see from this Medrash Tanchuma, shtika is more than keeping your mouth shut. And that's a very difficult thing to do. Kola chosim piv, anyone who's able to restrain him or herself when there's a machlokas going on, when they have a great line that could be so hurtful, but I'm not going to say it, can't even fathom the olam haba. But there's a deeper madrega where there's shtika intrinsically. It wasn't just that she was making this rational decision not to say anything in order to get married to Yaakov. But there is a sense of, of tranquility. There is a feeling of, 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 of being grounded within this decision. It wasn't an action or an inaction. It was a state of mind. It was the essence of who Rachel Imenu was. It was a shtika. There was a sense of just ironclad bitachon. That's an amazing thing to accomplish. You could keep your mouth shut. You could hold yourself back when you want to say something. The way that, that Reb Simcha Zisel Brody describes Aaron in this interaction, it sounds like Aaron was holding himself back, but it may very well be that it was a deeper shtika. It was a shtika like, like Rachel Imenu, where he understood because it will be inappropriate, it's not going to be effective right now to scream at Korach, I'm not going to say anything. And of course, I can't stand the Chilol Hashem that's taking place, but, but the Panemius inside, he had a shtika. There was a sense of, of tranquility. He never lost that equilibrium. That's a deeper level of shtika. This is why, this is why the mission doesn't say it's an amazing midah, it's a wonderful quality to try to attain, but it's good for you physically. Explains the Svas Emes. Shtika in this context doesn't just mean I'm not saying something, but I'm able to quiet the body. I'm able to keep still all of the distractions, all of the noise and clutter, all of the texts and the emails and the, and, and, and the achrayas and things that are going through my head, if I just remain silent, but I'm not actually living a shtika existence, I'll never have that menuchas hanefesh. Lo metzasi leguf tov mishtika, I haven't found anything better for the body than being able to get into this deep state of quieting the body and allowing the seichel and the neshama to shine. Aaron. Aaron lived this. Vayidom Aaron, probably the most well-known example of Aaron's silence, is when he said nothing after the death of his two children. Vayidom Aaron, he remained silent. It doesn't just mean he didn't say anything or he didn't complain, but like the Svorno explained, he had a sense of nechama, of comfort, because he understood there was a Kiddush Hashem that took place through the passing of his children. When we daven at the end of Shemona Esrei, we ask Hashem, please guard my tongue from speaking evil, from saying negative things about others, usfasa midaber mirma, Save me from speaking deceitfully. Ulim and those people who are cursing me, 
Those people who I know don't like me, don't appreciate me, and they're speaking negatively about me, nafshi sidom, allow my soul to be silent. Nafshi sidom doesn't just mean that I'm holding myself back from saying something. Chosim piv. That's a deeper madrega. That's a shtika of bitachom. That's a silence of faith. Nafshi sidom, allow my neshama to be quiet, to not feel the, the urge to get you back, to not feel the pain of, of, of rejection, to not feel that because you're not accepting me or, or you don't like me or you didn't invite me, that destroys me. Nafshi sidom, allow me to be silent in a way where I have a menuchas nefesh. The words of uh, Simon and Garfunkel. People talking without speaking, people hearing without listening, people writing songs that voices never share, and no one dare disturb the sound of silence. I have no clue what he's talking about. <laughs> However, <laughs> I think in our own interpretation, if we live in a world where people are talking without speaking, and we're listening we're hearing without listening. We're just going through the motions, and, but there's so much clutter and noise. And even the songs we share are never heard. That means we're lacking a very important quality of shtika. Silence when the call of the hours to stand up and be strong is evil. You're complicit. Silence when you're holding yourself back, it is an amazing achievement. The deeper goal is a shtika shel bitachon, that even when things are uncertain, even when I feel that you're being makalel me, you're cursing me, sidom nafshi or nafshi sidom, my neshama has that sense of, of, of bitachon and reliance that a kaddish baruch this is all you. All I need to do is try to be makayim the ratzon Hashem. Shkoyach.